Welcome to the Pair Program from Hatchpad, the podcast that gives you a front row seat to candid conversations with tech leaders from the startup world. I'm your host, Tim Winkler, the creator of Hatchpad. And I'm your other host, Mike Ruin. Join us each episode as we bring together two guests to dissect topics at the intersection of technology, startups, and career growth. What's up, everyone? Uh, we are back for another episode of the Pair Program. I am your host, Tim Winkler, accompanied by my co-host, Mike Gruen. Mike, got a question for you. <laughs> All right. Do you own Crocs? I do not. I am, <laughs> I am anti-Croc. Not a Croc guy, huh? Not you croc you guy. Like, hate them. I wouldn't say I hate them. I'm going to probably buy some for my kids and stuff, but no, I, okay. I'm, not a, I'm not a Croc guy. Are you a Croc guy? Yeah, not really. But I mean, Don't let my know. judgment... In fact, well, so the, reason I bring, the reason I bring it up, and I think it's interesting that you brought up that you're, you're getting your kids some, is that you know, we've had some debates here at Hatch about this, and there seems to be like a clear divide on Crocs. Like, I was reading uh, an article this morning about this where they took the top 10 most liked brands by like Gen Z and then the top 10 most liked brands by millennials. And then as part of that study, what they did is they they compared the widest favorability differences between the Gen Z and the millennials. And what do you think was in the top three? Clearly Crocs. Crocs. <laughs> Crocs, Discord, and TikTok actually were the, the top three. But I just think it's interesting because, you know, Crocs have been around for years, but now, you know, younger folks are coming in and, and loving them. And I think they said it, they pointed to like a big marketing spiel. Like, you know, they get like musicians or KFC to come out and do these like special releases of the shoes. So. It's interesting because I'm, I'm Gen X. I want to make, make it very clear I'm not a millennial. Clear, he's very old. Uh, folks, I am very yeah. old uh, and I am Gen X. Um, but it's funny because I associate Crocs with my dad. So how about that? Uh, yeah. My dad, oh, my dad wears a lot of Crocs. Yeah. I'm like coming, like now I'm always seeing these new ones called Natives that are like the like new Crocs competitor. Because like my uh, two-year-old okay. and all of her friends all have Natives. They're sort of similar. They're like rubber and like sort of like open air kind of. Right. Uh, they look a little yeah, bit more like Crocs. A, oh, sorry. They look a little bit more like a normal shoe. Yeah. <laughs> a little, as much as a rubber shoe full of holes can, I think. Right. Ryan, what about you, man? Are you, are you a Crocs guy? Uh, no, I, I own a pair of Crocs, but they're just Crocs branded flip flops. They're very, they're very comfortable. Okay. But yeah, so I think they're just, they're extending their, their product line beyond just rubber holes. Yeah. Yeah. That's widely debated topic. So I'm glad we brought we covered this one in light. depth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, all right. Well, let's um, let's give the listeners a little bit of a heads up on today's episode. So today we are going to be covering a topic centered around startup acquisitions, and specifically, you know, when a when a company is acquired, you know, what are the ripple effects that that maybe take place on you know the employees and the team members from all the way at the executive level, uh, leadership level, all the way down to entry level, junior level, uh, everything in between. So, um, you know, per usual, we we have two excellent guests here joining us, both of which are, are well versed on the topic. Uh, both have experienced acquisitions in different capacities, so I'm confident that they'll bring some some insight um, uh, to our discussion. And uh, Troy and Brian, thanks for spending time with us on the Pair Program. Thanks for having yeah, us. Of course, yeah, glad Good. to be here. Excellent. Uh, all right. So, you know, before we, we get into the, uh, the meat of the discussion, we like to kick things off with a fun segment that we call Pair Me Up. Pair, pair me uh, up. Here's where we kind of go around the room. We shout out a complimentary pairing. Mike, you tee us off. Uh, what, what do you got today? 
so now now i have cracks on my head but i'll still resist that urge um (laughs) but uh uh so last last time we recorded we were talking about company culture so that got me thinking about essentially toxic companies and regret uh (laughs) and sort of sticking around for longer have you know I, i i pride myself on like perseverance and grit and like we can we can make this better and uh sort of not recognizing when it's time to just sort of move on so uh so there's there's my uh there's my pairing really uplifting uh do you like to call any companies out uh no i I mean i think they know who they are (laughs) (laughs) that's great yeah i think uh that could play well into uh maybe some of today's topic who knows um but um uh i'll 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 jump in so my pairing today is um stoicism and entrepreneurship and i think um you know for maybe for those that aren't familiar with stoic philosophy it's teachings from like ancient greek philosophers like marcus aurelius and these are uh teachings that are kind of designed to make make you more resilient or a happier person put up um, longer with toxic culture yeah. yeah that's right embrace toxic culture and crocs and um but so so one of the uh you know one of my morning routines anyways is i uh read this uh book you know they have all these daily passages called the daily stoic uh author great author his name's ryan holiday and he you know a lot of folks consider him as like a modern stoic but it provides this daily passage and then you kind of pull from it you know some exercises for the day uh and i think the reason that i relate this to entrepreneurship is that you know a lot of the principles of stoicism or like the behaviors that i believe um entrepreneurs need uh for the most part to kind of like sustain and and continue down this journey of ups and downs and you know eventually get to the other side of as as successful um and like one of the examples i'll I'll pull out is that they tap into this thing uh, focus on more about what you can control you know stop worrying about what you can't control and so obviously at hatch anyways you know our business being in the recruiting space is just there's so many you know macro economics that are out of our control that play into whether or not we might have an, an excellent year or a, a terrible year and i think the last couple of years actually have been a really you know obvious reflection of this um and so i'd say like as a leader you know i've tried to channel you know, a lot of that stress and frustration and worry and instead of focusing on what we can control we, we can't control focus on what we can control as a company and have that kind of be my theme um uh, and my messaging waste to my team so anyways that's my long-winded answer uh entrepreneurship and uh stoicism on that note about um i can't help myself on the note of not worrying about the things that you can't control or stressing about the things you can't control i think one of the things that people don't realize that they can control are their reactions to those things Mm -hmm, and so focusing really on the on your on how you react to the things yeah. beyond your control is within your control. So focus Absolutely. more on that. Cool. Um, all right. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's uh, pass it around to, uh, to our guest, uh, Brian, why don't you give us a quick intro and, and tell us your pairing? Yeah. So I'm Brian Redford. I'm the CEO at riskzero.com. It's a zero knowledge cryptography blockchain related startup. Um, uh, my last company was acquired by Intel about four years ago, and that was Vertex.ai, which is into AI compilation technology. My pairing, kind of related to Tim's, I guess, uh, two things that go together. Uh, 
like a couple hours in a sauna and a massage. I think it's uh, as a as a business leader, <laughs> you know, it's important to to find time to you know let go of those things that you you can't control and sort of your frustrations with them and your frustrations with the things you can control. So always try to try to get in a lot of time for for you know calming down. Yeah, I love that. Nice. I think that needs to be a standard benefit at this point. <laughs> yeah, um, pretty much. <laughs> uh, it, it is true though. Like massages, like everybody, you know, look that they're they're certainly expensive. But you know, if you if you relate it to like a health benefit, you know, what is the you know what is that worth to you if you did one a month? Um, you know, I, I I'm trying to be better at that, but it's you know it's the type of thing where it's like getting over the mental block of like oh it's like a that's like a gift like you don't just go and do like a monthly massage or. Um, Long and short is, I think we need to be doing daily, weekly massages at this point. Um, cool. All right, uh, Troy, uh, intro yeah. and a pairing. Yeah, I'm uh, Troy Crosby. I'm uh, momentarily joining Patient IQ as uh, their director of engineering. They're helping like uh, big players in the healthcare space orient their practices and decision making around patient health outcomes. Um, in the past, I was an engineering leader at a small CRM for real estate startup called Contactually. Uh, acquired by Compass, big uh, real estate brokerage. And uh, I'll go really lighthearted for my pairing. Uh, I I would have said chips and salsa, which is just <laughs> a like weakness snack of mine, except for I've just like gone past the salsa and just gone straight to eating chips with hot sauce straight. And that's just like, that's probably like terrible, right? But like, I just have good. chips and hot sauce cravings like multiple nights a week at like 9 p.m. Probably like <laughs> great for like heartburn and sleeping, but I can't help myself. There's another pairing, heartburn and sleeping. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I got two for one there. <laughs> I thought we'd actually make it a whole uh, one one full round without any food. I'm glad we didn't. That was good. Um, we, we always <laughs> have to have good. at least some food in there. That's good. Is there like a uh, like a hot sauce that you you crave uh, on a chip, or is it do you like mixing uh, it up each time? Like uh, everything that like Yellowbird makes is like a really good brand. They don't they don't they don't have like crazy things like relatively basic, but they're just like really good basic hot sauces. Yeah, like they have like a really good habanero, and like they have their own version of a sriracha that's just like better than sriracha. Uh. Nice. Yeah, I'm a big uh, Cholula uh, fan. So it's a good one. Uh, good one. Yeah. Good on good on a chip, Tostito chips. All right. Well, um, cool. I think that's uh that kind of wraps that up. Um uh, let's let's dive into the the heart of the discussion here. So as I mentioned, you know, we're gonna be talking um about post acquisition expectations and we we did strategically choose our guest here, uh, you know, given their specific experience in acquisitions and also like their unique perspectives on the topic. So, you know, for example, Brian, you sat in the executive seat as a CTO and co-founder, um, you know, for for a small startup, uh, was acquired by a large tech company, and then Troy, you know, you served in the seat as an engineering manager. Um, so really, kind of seeing it from that middle management layer of a startup. Uh, that was acquired. And so I think we have a great opportunity here to you know, really peel the onion back on the scenario and dissect how it impacts folks across the board. So Brian, let's let's actually start with you on this. And can you uh, shed some light as a, a founder C-suite in a startup that is soon to be acquired? You know, how do you begin to approach this topic with you know, maybe your peers, you know, the, the management layer and, and others within the company? And then uh, we can jump to you, Troy, afterwards and cover it. Yeah, I guess it uh, it sort of depends on where you're at. Where we were at was running out of money. So I think everybody sort of knew that that was the case. 
And we, you know, we ended up, uh, well, we tried to raise money for a bit, realized we probably just need to, to exit the market and started looking for a buyer, but actually realized that that was probably not going to be super effective. We had gotten a, sort of an early offer from Intel, but then they went, they went quiet. And um, so we ended up hiring a consultant to help us. So there was a, a lot of discussion about whether we you know, wanted to ditch their very high fee in the event that we did get acquired. But um, I think it was the right call. So yeah, in our case, it was it was a bit, a bit of desperation. It's not a situation you want to end up in, I don't think. But you know, it had a reasonably happy ending. So, um, yeah. What was the how big was Vertex at this time? It's only ten people, so it was a pretty small company. Yeah. Okay. And how long were you guys operating before it went to an acquisition? Uh, about two years. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so. Uh, and we'll we'll dissect that a little bit more. But Troy, your your most recent experience, you know, was working for a startup based in the DC area. So a little shout out there, uh, a little D- DC startup love to contactually that was acquired by Compass. Um, can you uh, provide context on what your role was at Contactually leading yeah. up to the acquisition and the size of the team and and think how that played out? Yeah, I mean, Contactually was a little bit bigger. It was like maybe 50, 60 people. And um, I don't know if I say running out of money, but like it was transitioning to sort of thinking about raising a new round of funding um, or kind of had been courting an acquisition. Um, but like, you know, the question of like, how do you broach this conversation with the team? Uh, that definitely played out a lot for us because it's like, I think acquisitions are always like some degree of bittersweet, right? Like uh, teams usually like, you know, where they're working and like the people they work with. And so it's like the acquisition is a big like wrench throwing in the equation. It's like, oh, what do we know about this company? Am I going to like working there as much? Like, what's their culture like? What's their like? Am I be working on something totally different? Like, do I want to work on that? Um, so it's really easy to like for people to get sucked into that. But uh, I remember like a big thing that I was trying to drive home for folks was like, if you work in a startup, like, uh, you know, we're not just there to like code or design, but like, kind of our goal is like create business value like from thin air, right? It's like that's why you work in a startup. Like, wow, you're creating something new. If you get acquired, like you succeeded, right? It's like to some degree, that's like a mark of success, badge of honor. And so uh, totally. it's like, it's like spend some time, like kind of celebrating the win uh, before you start, like, you know, trying to think through all the new ramifications of the new place. Like uh, that's something to be really proud of. Uh, certainly, you know, there is like new territory that has to get explored, but like you want to spend time with the team, like being positive about, you know, like what you've all achieved too. Yeah, for sure. I'm curious on on if there were differences here between uh, the, the Vertex and Contactually story with regards to, you know, did they, you know, did you retain your brand and uh, some of those some of those items that um, you know are are special to you as a company, or was it a a strategy of like quickly dissolve everything? You're now the new company, and uh, you know, Vertex, for example, right? Uh, did you have a chance to kind of? Did they did they care to keep Vertex as like you know the a product brand or anything within Intel or what was the strategy there? Yeah, so we had an open source project that I think was mostly what Vertex was known for, which is still somewhat alive, FlatML. And so Intel did leave that alive, although they didn't really continue to invest in it. Uh, at least initially, we ended up later going back and sort of building a new version of it. But the Vertex AI brand actually they just totally let the domain expire. Which is funny because Google now has a product called Vertex AI. So <laughs> classic. It was a good name. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. What about you, Troy? How how long did uh, Contactually um, kind of you know, similar? Live? Like we kept that old product offering around, but it was like an independent product line, and it wasn't what our team then worked on. Like our team then worked on Compass stuff, and the old product was sort of independent and left to linger for a while. It's it's gone now, but it took two and a half, three years before it eventually wound that down. Um, and so like, yeah, the brand existed, but we stopped like recruiting under that brand name. We stopped, you know, like, you know, Tim, you mentioned like being in DC, we stopped sort of like advertising, like a presence in DC under that brand mm-hmm. name, you know, to, it's like you want to sort of turn a corner and, and adopt, you know, the, uh, think of yourself as employees of your, your new, your new company, not your old one, but it did. Um, that might be an interesting segue. Like that raised some challenging um, things in the recruiting space. It was like, we joined Compass and then pretty immediately we're told like, hey, like, you know, go grow your team by like 35% in the next six months. Like just go start hiring. And um, there was this like, you know, we uh, had some recognition in DC with our old company. And so we could sort of pull on that brand recognition a little bit, but like we're recruiting for a new company. Um, but there's like people knew some of us and we would, you know, have pitches like, Hey, like we're the contactually team now at compass and people sort of knew like, Oh, like that, that group has a good culture. They knew us. Um, but we, we had definitely had a few misfires. It was like people go through the interview process and they're like, who am I interviewing for? Am I interviewing for this old company or this new company? Like we kind of had to like adjust a little and realize like more heavily change our branding and our messaging. Um, and I think like probably both companies had like strengths that we could pull on in the recruiting space. But we just sort of realized that and it took a few months to think like, you know, yeah, that's an interesting point. We sort of had a, at, at Intel, um, well, you know, in theory, we were supposed to grow our team by like 20 people, but very shortly after we got acquired, they did an external hiring freeze and our headcount got slashed quite a bit, but we still ended up probably doubling the size of our team but we could only like recruit internally so we were actually in a pretty good space because intel is such a huge company and we did have like sort of the exciting ai startup that got acquired into intel cache so we're actually able to get quite a, a lot of very high quality internal talent yeah i think it's interesting when you think about you know you know, everybody joined um a startup for certain reasons and you know the uh the, the reality is that, you know, the, a lot of those reasons are going to change. And so, you know, it's almost like, because I think there's two things to look at here. There's one that's recruiting, uh, but then there's talent retention. So it's like, okay, well, you know, you join contactually, you've been there for a year and, you know, they get acquired and, and you know, your goal was to, to work with a company that was under 100 in headcount for the next three years or what, what have you. Well, now that's changed. And now you're working with a, you know, a, a large, a, a large company and, um, you know, where did you value that in terms of, you know, what you were looking for and your, you know, short to, to long-term goals versus what just got thrown on you? Um, and yeah. then, you know, if you had to prioritize that, then, you know, that probably plays into, well, am I going to stick around or am I going to, to move on? Yeah, you definitely have some people who like, based on what they were there for, like, could sort of think relatively soon, like, you know, this might not be for me. You know, I think a lot of times it's like the bit the purchasing company, you know, incentivizes people through equities to stick around for some vesting cliff or something like that, which you know happened for us. So we had really good, um, you know, retained our team for for quite a while. Um, you know, eventually that started to change, but um, 
I think like something that's kind of really unique though, is like usually you join a new company as an individual and you're like really lost, right? You're like, you have so much to figure out. Like it is really unique to join a company as a team. Like, totally. oh wow, I get to join a company with a whole bunch of people I already know. Right. We're bringing some like obviously desirable knowledge to the table that you were acquired for. Like that is kind of interesting. Like you get to ramp up together, compare notes together. So, uh, you know, it's like, that's something that you almost don't think about, but it's like gets called out. It's like, oh wow, yeah, this is this is an opportunity worth me like really, you know, going for. There's maybe a downside to that too, right? Like you join with the whole group, like you might like gossip a little bit. You could very easily like critique your purchasing company. Yeah. Because <laughs> like you have this whole crew. <laughs> happens. So you have to be careful there with like some tribalism you can definitely like sneak in. Um but yeah, I think that was like a positive aspect of the acquisition is, you know, we weren't, our team wasn't like immediately dissolved into some other team. We did get reorged a bunch of times and tossed around, but until it was, you know, struggling to figure out its AI strategy in, in its entirety. But, you know, we had uh, like, a, we were basically the only engineering team in Seattle. So we kind of just moved into much nicer offices and still had roughly the same team and kept, got, got to keep kind of growing it. Although we weren't really in control of our own destiny at all anymore. Hmm. We, were similar, like, we were, we were the only engineering team in DC. And then we'd like host other teams coming down from New York to like visit us in our space. And that was kind of like a cool social kind of aspect. Yeah. Well, what's the messaging like, you know, cause I'll be honest, if I'm, if I'm taking this from the recruiting perspective here, um, whenever a company gets acquired, they go into a, a, a channel in our Slack that puts them on, on high visibility that says, there's a good chance that there's going to be folks here that aren't going to be happy in the next <laughs> couple of months. And that's just the reality. Some people will love it. And some people like, again, it goes back to the point, like, that's not what I signed up for. And, and here we are. But what's the uh, messaging like, you know, uh, for, for you, Troy, like with, with the team in terms of, you know, how do I know that the, my role is secure? Like, you know, how transparent mm, yeah. are they with you? Like, tell me about that messaging. Cause I think that plays a part into like, am I probing yeah. now or am I not? Well, it kind of goes back to Mike thinking like these different types of acquisitions. And like in our case, um, they kind of wanted a bunch of our technology and we had like proven to be like a pretty lean customer centric startup in the real estate space. And they were really wanting more customer centricity and they're like, oh, these are experts in this. And so like they, you know, we were really highly desired. So I didn't think there was much concern about retention. Um, but uh you know, I think messaging was a little bit vague, to be honest. I think, like in our case, we joined and exactly what we should be starting to work on right away on day one was pretty mm -hmm. unclear. I think it took a number of months to really like get our feet under us. Um, but during that time, like we just like really leaned into our social bonds a lot, right? So like, hey, look, we're all together. Let's hang out. Let's do a few more happy hours. Let's try and bridge the gaps with other groups. Uh, you know, like celebrate the wins we can as a group, mm -hmm. even if they're like our normal workflow is like a little bit disrupted right now. Like definitely were some like lighter work weeks for sure for a month or two. Interesting. We, uh, yeah, in our case, uh, it was like sort of aqua hires, sort of technological acquisition. You know, they wanted us to basically take our technology and our experience and the team and, and apply it to a sort of new domain, which is hardware, software, co-design. So basically, building compilers for chips that didn't exist yet to help explore the the sort of space of chips you might build. So it's actually pretty exciting from a technological perspective and from a like challenge. Uh, so the team, you know, pretty much embraced it and and was excited about the opportunity to to do this. However, 
um, the chip we were working on got canceled a couple months after mm. we started immediately like, like, no, you can't take a break. You need to like, this product's already behind. So it's like, sell the company. And you, we were like in the trenches. Um, mm. And then of course it didn't matter. So that was, that was a bit disheartening, but you know, for a bit there, it, it did seem like, you know, we had a solid charter and, um, and the team did really embrace it. So we actually, we actually didn't lose anyone except for our, our CEO, but what was like was, the pivot at that point when like what you were working on got, you know, like a, a huge wrench thrown in it, like what, what came next? Especially oh, like how did the team uh, adapt to that? Like, well, they, they canceled that chip in favor of a, the next version of that chip. It was honestly, it went back and forth, uh, like all over the place. So Eventually, it was like a pretty logical transition. Like, yeah. And then we started working more on what we, Honestly, like they're like, well, we actually do need some compiler technology. So we actually kind of pivoted back to what we were working on in the first place. We're like, see, you should have just embraced <laughs> this in the first place, but didn't happen. So yeah, we found that like, I mean, speaking of like, you know, we had some light work weeks when it first happened. Like, you know, we were in like a rhythm where like product and design and engineering, you know, would always work really, really tightly. And then when we suddenly weren't sure exactly what to work on next. I think somewhere where we misstepped and like, if I could do it again, it'd be different is I'd like immediately decouple product and engineering and design and say, Hey, look, like we don't know exactly what we're doing for the next month. Each of these disciplines, like go to what makes sense for your discipline for, for like ramping up and backlog. And it might be different. Mm -hmm. Like maybe engineering works on debt for a month. Maybe design goes in like figures X, Y, Z out for a month. You know, like we should all kind of like, the, the the best optimal move for each of those groups may be different. Totally. Although, you know, even though like normally it's very tightly coupled. Yeah, I think we only had two groups, engineering and and business. And there's only one person in the business group <laughs> and that was the CEO and he moved on. So. Like the product and business people, I think like had to really adapt their like, you know, like normally you have, like filters for like understanding the right signal through all the noise. Like what's the most important thing? Like what, you know, what's the sort of lay of the land and like, that equation in their head was like totally reset. It was like, they had to figure out like, well, what, what is the most valuable thing for us to be working on next? And it's like, took them a while to like sort of reassess the landscape again. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, I ended up eventually managing a like 50 person team at, at Intel, but that was also quite tumultuous. And I don't know that it was exactly what, you know, I signed up to do, but um, that's, a, that's a good point. And I think it's important if you end up in a big company to, we, initially tried to sort of stay out of politics and the fray and, mm -hmm. and you do that. I think you do that uh, at your own peril. Like if you're going to be somewhere for three years, you should just embrace it and get in there and really try to make your mark. Yeah, definitely had some of that too. It was like, I definitely ended up having a lot of opportunity. There was a VP of engineering who was above me at my previous job. And as soon as we joined, he saw another opportunity in Compass and said, oh, I'm going to go lead that. So he grew into an area and then left another, like a vacuum for me to grow into as well. Um, but I feel like in any acquisitions, like there's kind of that promise of like, Hey, there's gonna be tons of growth opportunity for everyone. Question is like, is it a reality or not? Like it's a really yeah, easy thing. Totally. It's a really easy talking point to say. Um, and then it also, it was almost like the people who are acquired, like there may, may be some degree of savviness in terms of like, how well do you read the landscape to say, Hey, well, there's an area for growth. There's an area for growth. Like how do I position myself for them? Which, you know, like. Some people like uh, may pull that off. Some people may have some, some like missteps. Like it feels a little bit like uh, you know a dice roll, probably in some cases. 
and I'm trying to put myself in the situation and, and, you know, so let's just say I'm a junior juniorish person, um, versus, you know, maybe somebody that, that at your level, Troy went during the acquisition, I'm, I'm not going to feel like, I don't know. I, I, I would feel like I almost need to go and tap the folks that are in, you know, in, in my current, you know, startup, uh, to see, you know, what they recommend. I, I might, might be at my, uh, exposure versus, trying to find somebody in the new company and I'm feeling like it's just, you know, there's not that level of comfort of, well, I've been working with you, Troy, for a year. Um, you know, can you, can you work with me and help me navigate the waters of, of compass of where I might be able to, uh, excel versus like trying to go find somebody new in compass that you don't know, you know, from Adam. And, and now the next thing he knows, you know, they're, they, maybe they don't give you the level of attention as they would somebody senior that yeah. came into the acquisition. Yeah, it goes back to that like the unique scenario like joining as a group like you right. a new person at any other company wouldn't have those same dynamics but it is uh definitely like a unique scenario hey startup techies has this podcast inspired you to explore a new startup career opportunity then make sure to check out myhatchpad.com jobs to browse startups by stage tech stack and salary you brought up a point and, and I read a, you know, so Troy, you pushed an article about this called uh, 12 engineering leadership lessons for success after an acquisition. And it's a great write up. Uh, we'll actually post it in the show notes. Um, it might be a great write up. I don't know how, how well it's aged. <laughs> Probably like a year or two ago. <laughs> well, the, I, I found some, some uh, little golden nuggets in there. And, and I think you, the, the point you make about the uh, avoiding tribalism is interesting to me. Uh, which essentially kind of like getting away from this thinking in terms of like us and them. And so, you know, you pointed out on here is like, as a leader, you know, it's your responsibility to, you know, kind of like nip that in the bud. If you feel like it's coming on, like you're out at a happy hour and, um, you know, the, the, the topics come up about, you know, this is the way it used to be. Now it's this way. Um, Trying to steer those conversations away and thinking more about like, well, how, you know, how we work together and in, in our new future. Um, how, how is that? Cause I always feel like that would be, you know, cause I mean, it's right. Like even I, it's like, I say like, Oh, we should do that. But like, I definitely did it. Right. It's like yeah. probably impossible. Like Brian, right. You, I imagine, right. Like it was always present for probably quite a while still. So hopefully it's like yeah, subtle it, and lingering <laughs> and not prominent. In our, but like in our case, Oh, good. I was just saying, hopefully it's like, you know, like a subtle thing and like, but it, it's hard to totally get rid of, you know, it could definitely exist as a, without being negative like you could still have this concept like oh yeah our old team like you know we did this and there could be learnings from that but like it's so easy for it to devolve into like negative territory yeah i think intel is such a tribal place and we were acquired into an acquisition which was reorged into another acquisition that was then supposedly the entire ai team and but then there were a bunch of other ai teams in intel so it was basically just like which wait which tribe am i on today and um and who are we trying to like shiv in the back inside the company somewhere else? No, it was, it's a pretty, it's a pretty political environment in groups there. So I, I think it's great if you can do it, but sometimes you just have to, you know, figure out who your new tribe is instead. And it's, right. yeah, cause you can't like do away with a concept of like groups, right? It's like human nature. Like, Oh, we're going to think of ourselves in groups. And like, mm-hmm. that's perfectly fine, but it's, it's just so easy then for it to like, uh, always be like, maybe nitpick another group compared to your group and, you know, just the slippery slope. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, um, it's the type of thing where, 
um, you know, you almost have to do a self-assessment and and figure out, mm. you know, what are the things that I prioritize in, 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 the op- in an opportunity and in a company. And I think what we've seen bigger picture uh, becoming more and more important to folks. And I think, I don't know, just, you know, post-COVID, but this has become more and more of a thing is, you know, values-based uh, recruiting and, and trying to align with a company that, one, maybe promotes their, their values and, and seeing how does that align with mine. But then too, like if you're assessing yourself and after this acquisition and the values were the reason that you joined this one company, this new, this new acquiring company, you know, care less about your, the, a value statement, but more like how do we drive profits and everything, um, that might then lead you down the path of, you know, well, I'm, I already know what that came in high on my ranking. I'm, I'm probably going to start looking for something here because this isn't. Yeah. That's interesting. I think at, at Intel, it's pretty easy to get excited about the Intel product portfolio. You know, it's basically the nerdiest possible aspects of computer science. But the culture there, like especially the software engineering culture, really needed some help. And I guess, you know, I, I took it upon myself to try to move the needle. I don't know if I recommend that in all instances, but. <laughs> Even if it's not, you know, like fundamental, like, traits of the like business and like their mission but just even like you know cultural and process styles within the company mm-hmm. it's like i at least several people that i remember being um had been there and uh you know said like you know i really prefer like working this way um but compass tends to work this way and they were kind of debating you know like whether or not it felt right for them to be there and it was like you had to engage in conversations like okay well you are having really good growth in this area so it's really going to come down to, you know, like, where is your priority? Like, like I was saying, is like, is this growth uh, important enough such that you're okay dealing with that thing that's like usually not your preference? And totally. you just have to make a choice. Like, if it is, then you you grow for a while and you, you know, despite it. And if it's not, you say like, okay, well, you know, you go find a place that does align to that preference because maybe that preference is really important to you. And it's like, it's like kind of fine. I think there's almost a concern amongst groups that get acquired of like, Am I kind of like letting people down if I leave or something like that? It's like, should be relatively open that like, look, like, this totally. is weird. Like this is different. And like, we want to talk about it and people want to like think about other things. Like it's a very reasonable thing for people to do. Mm-hmm. And I think as a leader, like moving into an acquisition and, you know, I think that's a good, good sort of, you should, you should have that orientation, be willing to sort of coach your team in that direction and, and, and not really try to hold on to, you know, what happened in the past. I think it's important to really, mm-hmm. you know, coach people in that way and, and, and give people the space to move on if that's what's best for them. Because that's also going to be what's best for the team in the long run. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Intel did a great job, honestly. I think they, uh, in terms of dealing with people, very they're pretty good about that, generally speaking. And it was pretty obvious that, you know, you're required now, you're part of the Intel family. And if you want to move on to any other part of Intel or people stay there for 20 years. I guess for reasons, but, um, so I think Intel had to, <laughs> yeah, you know, that's branded. having a hundred thousand person company, you know, they, they get pretty good at this kind of like onboarding stuff. So actually we felt really kind of special and they did a really good job of, of making us feel, you know, like important that we were there. Yeah. Yeah. Ours is a little bit different. It was like compass did really well of making people feel like they had some incentive and they were valued by like good equity and, you know, good, uh, you know, to retain people. But I felt on some of the people level, it's not that it was um, bad. It just wasn't as that, that sort of wasn't as present. And it, I think more organically fell to middle managers to kind of bridge that gap. Um, 
well to what extent is it also kind of fall on the the founders that sold and you know how much did they care to sell for these reasons versus the money yeah. you know i think you know obviously that's a personal question and in, in every circumstance is going to be different but you know for for example you know like um you can almost relate it to selling a home right you know you you lived in a in a home grew your family here and you want to be really selective about who's who your next buyer is because you don't want them to see the house go to shit. Well, what, you know, what about like the, the, the founder that's like, you know, we, we, we built this thing and we're everybody's so passionate about it, you know, really being diligent and like the acquiring company needs to make sure like this doesn't all just fall to the wayside or, or how do I prioritize that? And, and, you know, working with, you know, whatever financial firms to say like, these are my top important things, you know, for, from an acquisition. I don't, I don't know how much that goes into, into it or not, but you know, that got, that seems like it's kind of top of mind for me if I was, you know, wondering what my my founding team was was also looking for there beyond just the money. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, we might have tried to hold out a bit longer if we weren't pretty confident that um, you know the Intel didn't want to just you know reorg us into a million pieces and and didn't have some kind of legitimate need for the stuff we were working on. So I think. There's a lot of, we took a lot of comfort in what they wanted us to do. And it's hard to say, you know, what we would have done differently if, if it hadn't been, you know, apparent that they, that they sort of had a future in mind for us. Mm -hmm. Well, what about like, so, you know, at risk zero now, um, you know, the, the, as you're, as you're growing, uh, and just maybe, you know, tapping on some of those experiences from Vertex of, you know, uh, what you would do differently now in terms of almost like from a timeline perspective of trying to like set, I don't know how much transparency goes into the team of, you know, this is our goal in terms of getting to you know, acquisition. Obviously that's a, a that's a, a, a tough question to answer any, any, you know, entrepreneur founder that's running a business, but are you, are you planting those seeds earlier? Does it matter or anything else that comes to mind of like, you know, pulling on that past experience that you bring into risk zero? Yeah. Definitely, um, you know, blockchain is a bit weird of a space because you, you can kind of like IPO by launching a token. So, which which you know is a lot easier to get to. It's kind of messy and weird that this exists, but you know, we're kind of at a point where we're like, we don't want to get acquired. But you know, if that happens, I guess that's fine, and we're going to structure our business in in such a way that that's you know a potential outcome. But we're trying to you know, make this a, a company that lasts. I think that's, that's what we took away from the last startup acquisition experiences. Like let's, you know, we like doing this and we, we like, you know, having, you know, the ability to build our own house there, I guess. Mm -hmm. So, um, so we're really just trying to make sure we have appropriate runway and that we have, you know, product market fit and, or, in, you know, appropriate levels of investment to keep the thing going for, you know, the foreseeable future until we can get to some self-sustaining point. Nice. Cool. Um, uh, Troy, anything else you want to add to the, to the, the topic before we transition to uh, uh, the next? I mean, on that, on that particular question, I think, you know, I uh, was recently, uh, you know, I'm joining a new job soon, but uh, one thing I was doing when I'm talking to a couple of folks um, was, you know, some companies be like, Hey, you know, we're chasing an IPO or that's, a, that's our goal. As I, I now having gone through this, wanted to also understand like, would you sell under what scenarios would you sell? Like sometimes people try to treat IPO as like option number one, and then acquisition is like maybe the backup plan. But I kind of wanted like to understand like the reality is 
founders are going to be open to acquisitions, but I wanted as an incoming like engineering leader to be like, I want to understand the founder's brain, like how, what they're thinking about and like what scenario would they sell? Uh, Cause I want to go into like, you know, a new, new role with eyes wide open in that regard. I think, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, as, so as a founder, you know, you do have an obligation to, you know, do right by your investors. So if selling is, is what yeah, makes yeah. <laughs> the ultimate sense. You, you kind of got to be open to it no matter what. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just think I think that's really smart though, Troy. I'd I'd be kind of doing a little bit a little bit more probing too and just, you know, just see what you can uncover. Um, you know, I think there's a level of appreciation that you have that con- you know, you you're you have that level of concern or interest in, in terms of the future here. Um, I, I think if it comes across as like, hey, I don't you know, take it easy with these questions, it it, it might yeah, actually no, be a exactly. Flag. Exactly. Yeah, yeah totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, you want it to be intentional and not sort of stumbling into it backwards that, you know, like. <laughs> yeah. Good stuff. All right. I, I, uh, I'm going to transition us now to this, this final segment called Round Out My Career. So this is a, a session where we, you know, have this community wheel behind me. We, we spin it. It's got questions and topics that are usually crowdsourced from our community, the Hatchpad community. And um, they can range from compensation to diversity. diversity um, I'm actually not going to spin it. Um, <laughs> I already have a question kind of teed up that I think is is something that has been brewing over here. Uh, and in, in fact, it's it's an upcoming episode that we're going to um, be uh, recording here in the next couple of weeks. And I think there's some um, some interesting uh, things to to pull apart here. And I, I want to see you know how maybe you interpret it, Troy, and also how you uh, might interpret this, Brian. But so. The, the upcoming episode is called uh, The Co-Founder Connection. And what we're doing is tapping into kind of like how co-founders align, you know, how they might complement one another. And, um, you know, every startup has a, you know, a different path. Some, some it's a solo founder. Some I've seen have like four co-founders. Uh, and so I'm always curious to know, um, you know, what plays into maybe, you know, is, do, do folks see the four and like, oh, wow, that's, that's they're at a much greater advantage, uh, but then you got a lot of cooks in the kitchen, right? Does that lead to to a little bit more of you know arguments over you know small decisions and things like that? But um, you know, I'll start uh, Brian with you. Just um, you know, you're you know you've got um, you've got a co-founder currently, or and you've had you got two co-founders, and and uh, at Vertex you had um, the same two. Co-founders. Well, actually different different two, but. Um, oh, okay effectively we've known yeah each other for 20 years but go ahead sorry what, so so what are what would you say are some of the traits that you think are important to to have with co-founders that you know either complement or don't um what have you seen like be, be successful or or you know not so so healthy totally um so i would start off by saying i would never do this alone personally i think that mm-hmm. sounds insane <laughs> to me uh there's just so much to do and um I would say, you know, me and Frank and Jeremy like complement each other really well. Um, I think there's some skill sets that I kind of wish we even had in our sort of founding cohort that we didn't. And if I knew that person, I would always include them in startups. And that's more like, you know, organizational skills and so forth. But um, yeah, the I think it's really important to have a, a good dynamic there. And, and also, I think it helps prevent, you know, blind spots by having a diverse, a more diverse perspective, especially earlier on, it stops you from, from making mistakes. But then yes, you do have to deal with, you know, who's going to be CEO this time and other contentious topics like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
yeah yeah pick out of a hat I am disappointed I didn't get to hear the clicking noise, but um, yeah, does that answer your question or can I expound on that? <laughs> no, I think that's really helpful. And I, I actually appreciate the point of not doing it solo. I, I start like an idiot started this business solo, <laughs> um, but you know, come to find out, you know, my first hires, you know, become my co- co-founder, my partner, totally. um, but wish I had done it a lot earlier because there's a lot of a lot of anxiety and stress that falls on one person. It, it's it's helpful to be able to talk that through with somebody else that's going through it with you. Um, uh, Troy, what about you? Like seeing it from, I think it's kind of interesting of looking at it from, you know, also when you're, as you're interviewing, you know, almost like looking at like the founding team and seeing, you know, who's, who does what and what kind of those backgrounds might look like, but anything uh, off the yeah. top of your head that comes to mind? I mean, like I, um, I had an opportunity, like a head of engineering opportunity somewhere that I decided not to pursue because um, very early stage, like a seed stage, but I felt it was a solo founder. And I felt that for this particular scenario that the person probably needed some like more experienced counterparts to be around them. It was like too much for, for the one person. And I just felt like that maybe wasn't the, the best scenario to join. Uh, I guess it's kind of like, I mean, in other cases, right. I feel like, one person can do it depending on who it is and the scenario, what background they bring. But like, I guess, you know, like it matters. I think it's like worth assessing about a place, but it's like not the same equation everywhere. Right. It's like, it's a, it's a valid factor, but it's like not a valid factor in the same way at each place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's very good. Yeah. I think it goes to the, like, you know, make sure you're asking questions. If you're, if you're thinking about working for a startup, you know, uh, really ask, ask good questions to the founders and figure out. Yeah, exactly like whatever whatever do. the founding team is, are they positioned well for that specific scenario, you know, to succeed or not? Like whether it's one of them or four of them. I'll say it, it's easier to raise money with a team. I think it's it's a lot it's a lot easier when you're you're, you're like this is our third company we've made together, and the last one was acquired by Intel, and you put three people up there. You know, you get a lot fewer questions. Well, and you don't have yeah. one person spending all of their time doing fundraising. It's like oh, yeah, you have a third right. of you maybe yeah, spending your time doing fundraising. Yeah. yeah. Some people can do engineering while you're fundraising. It's amazing. Yeah, I've seen it too, where, um, you know, they look for somebody that will, uh, you know, compliment them. Well, obviously, I think personality plays a big piece. Like you need to, you know, you need to make sure you guys, you know, get along, guys and girls get along. And uh, one of the things that, you know, you can look into is, you know, maybe one, one of the, uh, one of the, the founders is, you know, really strong in the industry, right? Maybe they're, you know, if it's a fintech platform, like, they came up the ranks of, of financial you know, companies and they've got a really good grasp on the industry, but maybe that doesn't mean that they're the creative type. So, you know, maybe there's uh, someone that's got the, the ideas and the creativity, but then there's somebody that's, you know, the, the operational execution you know, side of things. But um, a common theme that I've seen that, you know, needs to be a part of it, if it's not, is somebody needs to be a good storyteller. Like somebody needs to be able to Absolutely. explain like why this is a unique uh you know, company, product, what have you. And that probably plays into investing and getting investors on board. But you can't just both be, you know, the introvert that doesn't really know how to publicly interact and, and tell that story. And uh, so that those are some some common things that I've seen. Um, I, I still have friends that are the introvert trying to trying to make their startup succeed. And they've been doing it for like eight years. <laughs> and they're still just kind of in the same spot. So just navigating some discord chats and uh and not really taking it too public. Cool. Well, yes, yeah, stick uh, stick around uh, in a couple months. We'll have a little bit more, a uh, little bit more on the topic. But uh, 
on this one, you know, this has been fun, guys. I appreciate you all, you know, joining us and providing the insight. And uh, yeah, I think that's that's a wrap. Great, thanks for having thanks. us. For sure. Yeah, it was fun. Are you a startup founder or tech leader looking to grow your engineering or product teams? If so, Hatch IT could be a partner worth exploring. We've helped hundreds of startups scale their tech teams with relational and marketing-driven recruiting solutions. Check out hatchit.io hire to learn more about how we can help your teams grow.